Come Holy Ghost, our souls inspire and lighten us with your celestial fire. For if you are with us, nothing else matters. And if you are not with us, nothing else matters. Be with us, we pray, in the name of your beloved. Amen. I love this place. It doesn't seem to matter whether I get back once every couple of years or once every couple of decades. It's my church home, which makes you my church family, and it makes me your crazy Aunt Barbara, whether we've ever met each other or not. Like many of you, I keep coming back because it's the place I feel most sane and most accompanied and most drawn out of myself to be with people whose lives may not be anything like mine, but whose hearts I trust beyond all reason. I don't know why that is. Maybe it's because we're on our best behavior here. Anybody can do it for an hour. Uh, Maybe it's the windows that allow us to drop the curtain for just a little while on what's outside. Maybe it's the compounding interest on all the beauty that has been deposited into us over the years here. Or maybe it's the promises we keep making together to seek and serve Christ in all persons, to love our neighbors as ourselves, to strive for justice and peace among all human beings, to respect the dignity of every human being, all persons, all people, every human. What a lot to promise. I will with God's help. You just can't say things like that more than two or three times without feeling kind of knit together with the people who are saying them with you. Even if you don't know their names or zip codes, maybe because you don't know their names or zip codes. A certain level of anonymity can be a great aid to feeling warmly toward other people. A kind of distance can sometimes make a broader embrace easier. might not be something a preacher should say, but I've always found it much easier to love humanity than to love any particular human beings, <laughs> at least for more than an hour or two without a break. At nine, I said it helps to imagine people naked, but that didn't go over well, so I decided I wasn't going <laughs> to say that at this service. I learned that from a training manual for flight attendants. When you have a rowdy customer, just imagine them diapered like a baby. (laughs) The rest of the time, I pray to God to remind me that I can be as hard to love as anyone God ever met. And if that weren't true of me as well as of the majority of God's beloved children, then Jesus would have had next to nothing to do or say while he was here. Love is hard. Justice and peace cost more than most of us have budgeted for it. Respecting the dignity of every human being? I will, with God's help, just please don't tell me who they're voting for. Please. (laughs) So I just let the curtains up. Nine days from now, we'll have a new president. You okay? Breathe, breathe. According to sources as varied as the Wall Street Journal and Salon.com and the American Psychological Association, record numbers of us are suffering from what some mental health professionals have dubbed pre-election stress disorder, PESD. Others who suspect the condition may last longer than November 9th are calling it political anxiety disorder. Seems to be a real thing. It affects millennials almost as much as people in their 70s. 
It troubles people of all colors, all economic um, statuses uh, across party lines. Even if you've been spared, see if you recognize some of the more common symptoms in your unspared family and friends. Irritability. I should have you raise your hands as we go along. (laughs) Sleeplessness, weight gain, increased consumption of alcohol, feelings of powerlessness and restlessness. Are you raising your hand over there? (laughs) Avoidance of conversations involving politics, more conflict at home, less productivity at work, persistent low-grade anger, and something called cognitive dissonance, cognitive dissonance which I think is the crunching noise your brain makes when it runs into new information that contradicts what you thought you knew about the world. Your next-door neighbors hammer a sign into their yard that tells you they aren't who you thought they were. (laughs) Large crowds at the other candidates' rallies suggest that your values aren't as common as you believed they were. Some of your Facebook friends post things that make you want to get up and go be sure the doors are locked. As David Brooks wrote in his op-ed piece this week, anxiety is coursing through American society. It has become its own destructive character on the national scene. Bizarrely, I think that makes it the one thing that voters have in common at the moment. Left or right, red or blue, him or her. We all agree that if the other team wins, apocalypse is right around the corner. This sermon, by the way, you don't do titles. It's called Pre-Gaming the Apocalypse, okay? (laughs) So why am I talking about this in church? Three reasons. Because I think it's a spiritual problem. Because I think our corporate stress around this election crashes right into the promises that we make every time we baptize someone into the body of Christ. And third, because Habakkuk showed up in the lessons today. The only time he ever shows up in the lessons, which means that today is his only chance to be heard for three more years. (laughs) And I find him the perfect prophet for today, for anyone suffering from political anxiety disorder. Just in case you didn't hear, Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And you will not listen. Or cry to you violence and you will not save. Why do you make me see wrongdoing and look at trouble? The wicked surround the righteous, therefore judgment comes forth perverted. No one knows anything about Habakkuk except what's in his book. The political enemies on his horizon are the Chaldeans, a fierce and impetuous nation, he says, whose horses are swifter than leopards, more menacing than wolves at dusk. They seize dwellings not their own. They gather captives like sand. Apocalypse, for him, is right around the corner. But Habakkuk's argument is not with the Chaldeans. His argument, it's with God. Why is God letting the bad guys win? What has happened to the God of justice? Habakkuk thought he knew who God was. But the Chaldean menace, it's messing with his head. The divine listener? will not listen. The divine Savior will not save. Cognitive dissonance, circa 600 BCE. Against all odds, Habakkuk decides to remain faithful to God, even if God won't remain faithful. 
Habakkuk stations himself on the rampart, the defending wall of his fortress, and he waits for God to answer his complaint, which comes down to, how long? How long? That's what he wants to know, but there were no term limits in his day. He might have waited nine days, and he might have waited eight years. Plus, when God finally answered him, the news was not good. The Chaldeans are serving a purpose, God says to him. Their arrogance will circle back on them by and by, but that's not your business. Your business, Habakkuk, is to write the vision, to write it so plainly that even those who hurry by can read it. For there is still a vision for the appointed time, God says. It speaks of the end. It does not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It's on its way. It will arrive right on time. And in the meantime, the very meantime, the spirit of the proud is not right in them, God says, but the righteous live by their faith. Lots of people think Paul wrote that verse, the righteous live by their faith. And that's because Paul quotes it at least twice in his letters, but Habakkuk said it first. And every three years today, Habakkuk gets to say it himself. Great way of reminding us that before Jesus and after Jesus, God's people have always lived by faith. By continuing to do what they know is right, no matter what the leopards and wolves are up to. At the same time, and just as important, I think, Habakkuk reminds us that the faithful don't cease to be faithful when they call God to account. Job did it. Jeremiah did it. Depending on how you read Jesus' last words from the cross, Jesus did it. And the fact that all these laments show up in what we call sacred scripture suggests that there is something sacred about them, something we need not fear doing ourselves. It's possible that it helps God to hear the faithful cry out while the Chaldeans are serving their painful purpose. In his best-selling book, Between the World and Me, Ta-Nehisi Coates says, You are called to struggle not because it assures you victory, but because it assures you an honorable and sane life. That's far more eloquent than the advice therapists across the country are giving patients with political anxiety disorder. I am an expert this week. Top of the list, get more exercise. That shows up on a lot of lists, and right behind it is limit social media. Stick with the facts. Watch Saturday Night Live. <laughs> One therapist suggested making a list of things you do now that you will still be able to do regardless of who's elected. Another recommended finding something practical to do right now. Call, encourage a voter in a swing state, offer a ride to someone you know who's reluctant to drive. Action is key no matter how limited the outcome. No one I read this week said have faith, which didn't surprise me since I was reading HuffPost and not Christianity Today. But God didn't say anything to Habakkuk about having faith. 
God talked about living by faith. Small, but I think a really vital difference that removes faith from anyone's possession and gives it back as a way of life. I did hear something close to that in the advice of a counselor who practices right in the eye of the storm, suburban D.C. He said that when couples come to him for help with election anxiety, because their families are falling apart and all they can do is fight, he reminds them to stop downloading negativity from their environment. Stop. And focus instead on the kinds of partners, the kinds of parents they most want to be, and let their deeper values guide them. He said, just do something selfless to help someone else, and you'll feel much better. You've got to serve other people to be happy. That was in the Washington Post. It wasn't in the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel for today, but I think it still works. Does your political anxiety disorder have you up a tree? Are you hoping to see the Savior without bumping up against all those tall, rowdy people who keep getting in your way? Well, good luck with that. Better hope you see the Savior before he sees you. Because when he does, he's going to tell you to come down from your watch posts. Get off your defensive wall and do something selfless. Maybe invite somebody home or sit down to supper with a bunch of people whose names you don't even know. Some of them, I promise, will be as anxious about eating with you as you are about eating with them. Some of them may be voting the other way. Say la vie. How else are you going to let your deeper values guide you into a life worth living? How else are you going to keep the promises you've made? All persons, all people, every human being. It's the vision God has given us. It's what keeps us coming back. It's what we're here to practice, and it's what we want to give our children. So we will, with God's help, for nine more days and all the days to come. Amen.